0: Morning. We, I think we got out just a minute uh, late, so I know there's still folks coming in uh, or else they're opting for Craig's class, but you can blame them. But um, if we don't start now, we're, we're never going to get through. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and pray. Maybe we can uh, shut those doors and folks can still file in. That'll be fine. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are love. We pray, God, that you would uh, teach us exactly Uh, what that means uh, by your Spirit, by your Word, uh, working in us and on us. Uh, Convict us where we need conviction. uh, Draw us to yourself. Draw us to repentance. And uh, Lord, give us that joy that is everlasting. We ask it in the name of Christ, our mediator and our advocate. Amen. So we are going uh, through the uh, first letter of John, uh, and uh, though some... Uh, disagree, as we said, uh, it is. Uh, We're I'm working on under the assumption that it's written by the Apostle John. Uh, it is very late in his life, uh, and probably first through third John are the last works written in the Bible, the the latest dated uh, works uh, written. Uh, and again, just just so you remember, he is if you or if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, he is uh, writing to a group of churches uh probably around the area of Ephesus, which is where he is writing from. Uh and this these group of churches have experienced a church split. Uh they were Baptists. And um and so they uh the uh the, the there is a th- is a split over theology and the group is um uh, the group that's uh, still around um uh, the group that has left the Orthodox uh church there, the um They're still around. They're still seeing them in and around town at dinner parties and things. And so they're still having an influence. And they're primarily these secessionists are are primarily um, uh, early Gnostics, as as best we can tell by reading back into the text. Early Gnostics. And what I mean by that, and there's lots of different strands of of Gnosticism, uh, but but one of the primary tenets and what we see in our text today uh, is that they believe that there was a, a uh, that matter was evil, the material world was evil, the spiritual world was good, and there was no intersection between the two. So they could not have um, uh, believed in the pre-existent deity of Christ uh, or the incarnation, because uh, how could God become a man if there is no intersection between, um, between evil matter and good uh, the good spirit, so they could not have believed in the incarnation, so they can't believe in the deity or the pre-existence of, of Jesus Christ. The way that that uh, worked out in the lives of the Gnostics, uh, those Gnostic believers, uh, was uh, one of two ways, perhaps. One that they were, they might have been ascetics, uh, very strict, not having. I don't want to protect myself from anything that has to do with the world. Uh, they would sleep on rocks and, and you know, jagged, jagged rocks and you know, nails, whatever they can find to, to just really, really make themselves uncomfortable um, because the spiritual world was, was, um, was good, and so they were preparing themselves for that and doing away with the material world. Or, no matter what, on the other end of the spectrum, no matter what I do with my body, my spirit cannot be touched. And so they, they feel a, a freedom... Uh, towards just sort of uh, egregious immorality. And, um, and so that is, those are the things that, that John is dealing with. John, as we said, is not like Paul. John doesn't address something, make a case against it, argue the point. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't work like that. He, um, uh, but he is, he is very, very consistent in how he um, talks about how we are to distinguish truth and where we are to get that truth. But as we go through um, chapters three and four today, and what you have in your hand is just little snippets um, of of these uh, what we're going to touch on. And I I will say this: uh, First John. I mean, it really probably needs ten to twelve weeks, Um, and so we're just going to we're going to go through uh, as quick as you can. Uh, But he's he's writing to the believers. The apostle is writing to the believers uh, to encourage them, to assure them. And to help them uh, distinguish the truth. Uh, it, because part of the primary message is not, as the Gnostics would say, that uh, the, the truth is for the spiritual elite. Uh, but uh, but it, the, the gospel is for all people. It's recognizable. It's understandable. And, um, and so we are, uh, it, the gospel is for all people. One of the things I said last week uh, is that the gospel is like a class action lawsuit in reverse, and then if you if you were here, you remember that I got sort of nervous and I got sort of convoluted in my mind uh, because I realized I'm talking uh, largely, that you can't throw a rock around here without hitting a lawyer, so um, I, uh, I I got sort of nervous. But one of uh, my lawyer friends, I'm not sure if he's here this morning, uh, heard that and, and emailed me a uh, at my request. A um a uh, he said in a regular class action, a group of plaintiffs who believe that a defendant has harm them by violating the law, join together and charge that single defendant with the wrongdoing, which is uh, decided by an independent judge or jury to assess what price, if any, the defendant must pay for the perceived wrong. So lots and lots of people in a class action lawsuit come against a, a single uh, defendant uh, who is the offender. In Christianity, however, we have, um, we have one who has, is, is completely right coming Against uh, many, and he's the plaintiff, coming against many defendants who have done uh, innumerable wrongs, a multitudinous class of defendants. Uh, you would never let uh, the offended party uh, try his uh, own case, be the judge in his own case, because he's always going to rule uh, for himself. In this, in this case, he did rule for himself. We are declared guilty, but then what the judge does is that he takes upon himself uh, the penalty for the class, the uh, the uh, class of defendants. Uh, he takes upon Himself uh, the suffering and the condemnation and even the death to pay the price for our wrongdoings. Now remember, we said that the, uh, the, the, the whole letter is an exposition of the holiness of God. And God, uh, 1 John 1.5, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And so last week, uh, if we were here, we looked at chapter 2. Uh, we saw the theological, the practical claims uh, of the secessionists. Remember, like, if we say we know the Father and yet we still walk in darkness. So if we say we have no sin, uh, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, So the claims that the secessionists had, like, we say we have no sin. And John addressed these in in dual statements, um, D-U-A-L statements or maybe D-U-E-L statements, going against um, them. But this week we're going to see John uh, contrasting the fruit, contrasting the fruit of the competing theologies. Uh, and it comes down to this, as we see, uh, that true Christians uh, love others. Now, um, so that, the title for this class is, I Want to Know uh, What Love Is, uh, based on the, the incredible epic song by uh, Foreigner. Uh, and, um, uh, but as it turns out, those guys were, were uh, to, to borrow a, a title from a lesser genre, they were looking for love in all the wrong places. Um, <laughs> Uh, I will say this before we, we dive into the material: uh, it is very, very challenging, and um, and it, it should be taken seriously. Uh, but it should also be taken in the context of all the New Testament, um, and it should be taken as a whole. Uh, it, you get into real danger if you get into this passage, this this these couple of chapters. You start taking texts out of context uh, because John hits our Christian responsibility real hard. Now, he goes back and back to the gospel repeatedly. Uh, and and as we've said, the holiness of the gospel flows out of the holiness of God, and the holiness of believers' lives flows out of the gospel. And so he returns to the gospel uh, over and over. But if you start taking things out of, out of context, uh, then you can get into trouble. So, here we go. 1 John 3 uh, through... As he is pure. Now, buckle up. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So we're going to talk about the 23rd Psalm this morning. and um, We're going to start at the beginning of this passage because John starts at the beginning, the doctrine of adoption. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. The love of God is given to us in that He has called us children of God. And what this means is that we are not naturally His children. Frank talked about this in his sermon last week. Uh, interfaith Dialogue Today in Contemporary uh, World. We so we are all the time, we are all God's children. And that doesn't account, when we say that we're all God's children, it doesn't account uh, for the uh, chasm between sinful humanity and a holy God. It doesn't account for the cross of Christ. Absolutely. Everyone is made in the image of God. Absolutely, God loves everyone. And so we make the jump, well, then we were all God's children. But the Scripture does not make that jump. The scripture does not make that jump. But the love of God has been given to us, the love of God has uh, the word there is it has been bestowed. The mantle of God's love has been placed on us. The, the way the NIV translates this is, "How great is the love of the Father that has been lavished upon us?" Now, I remember uh, when I was in uh, young life and some other other things, not to disparage young life uh, at all, but I can remember the um, like in youth group the uh, the. The youth group uh, leader standing up, and I probably did this at one, um, a time or two myself, and handing out a dollar and, and holding it out, and saying, "You know, who wants a dollar?"
1: And everybody raises their hand, and some sort of you know, kid who's full of himself stands up and comes and takes the dollar, right? And it said, "That's what the gospel is." It's just right there, and what
0: you you have to you have to reach out and, and take it, and that's that's the gift. Well, in truth, here's the gift, and you're dead on the table. You're dead in your trespasses. This is uh, the gift is life-giving for those who are dead in their trespasses. That's Ephesians two one. You're dead in our trespasses. We're, uh, we're is it's not a gift that we even have the capacity to reach out and take. And yet, um, we, because we can't reach across the chasm between us for our sin and um, our sinful condition and uh, the hold it to, we can't reach to the holiness of God. And yet, the love of God has been lavished upon us, bestowed upon us, placed upon us, such that we have been declared to be His children. We have been called His children. This is the gospel. This is the gospel of grace, that God loved us and made us His children. Romans 8, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, who is the we that He is saying there? He says, see what uh, kind of love... um, The Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. He's talking about believers. Uh, Those uh, who have uh, trusted Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross to be sufficient for their sins and to deliver us from evil and death. Uh, That is the we. We are the children of God who um, who trust in Christ. That is not PC. John isn't concerned about that. And he understands that this uh, throws a dividing wall between believers and non-believers. Uh, he does not; it does not say that we are not to love non-believers or interact with non-believers or uh, witness, bear witness to non-believers. It simply says that there are some who just don't get it. And uh, knowledge, um, uh, instruction, uh, explanation, and for more information. These aren't the problem. Uh, The problem is faith. And faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit working in us, we don't have the capacity in ourselves uh, as sinful folks to reach out and believe. Any belief that we have is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And they do not have that, which is not we pray. uh, What we mean is they don't have it yet. We want to pray for them. We want to offer uh, our prayers on their behalf that the Holy Spirit would take them. Their story is not over but that we are not God's children until we have been justified uh, by grace through faith. And yet that is the gospel. Uh, If we're talking about election, that's the gospel. It's a doctrine of assurance and not a doctrine of condemnation. For those who are believers, how great the love of God which He he has lavished upon us that we could be called children of God. That should cause us to break out in worship and, and exaltation of the one who... Came to save us, not to condemn those who uh, have not been given that. We pray for them. Um, and yet, this is not the primary focus of what John is trying to say. That he's laying the groundwork for what he's getting to. The primary focus of this section is, is the thing which which John holds to be a non-negotiable. And that is that those who truly know God, that His children, practice righteousness rather than sin. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. Uh, No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. he's, He's talking specifically... About the secessionists there. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. So he, John is saying that you can look at the lives of the people and know uh, who belongs to the Father and who doesn't, even though they all claim to. Well, that is terribly challenging. And if, you, if it's not challenging, then you need to look at your life. It is challenging because we know what our lives are really like. But let's talk about what he means by lawlessness. Now we, talk, uh, we tend to talk about the law uh, sometimes as if it were, as if it were bad. We say things uh, that are very true, like, uh, the law condemns," and it does. But it doesn't condemn us because it is bad, or it condemns us because it is good. The law is a, a, an extravagant holiness. The law reflects. Uh, the character of God, and it works on us like a mirror, and it honestly reflects to us our true character, um, The because it, the law also it reflects the character uh, of God, and so uh, you remember Isaiah uh, before, in chapter 6, the calling of Isaiah, he is before God, he comes into God's presence, Isaiah probably outwardly a very holy man himself, he is in the presence of God, and he Go, hits, the, hits the ground face first woe to me for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips in the presence of holy God he is immediately aware of his own sinfulness and that is the way that the law works it's not because the law is bad it's because the law is good and yet we are separated uh, naturally um, but the law is good it, it reflects the character of God uh, and you think, just think of the Ten Commandments. Uh, have no other uh, gods before me. Well, God, that is because it, God is one. God is supreme. Keep the Sabbath holy. It's because God is to be worshipped and rest as a gift from God. Do not steal because God is a provider. Uh, do not bear false witness. God is a God of truth. Do not commit adultery. God is a God of faithfulness. The law reflects the character of God. But it is in the law that we see our our separation. So sin is lawlessness, John says. So sin is opposed uh, to the character of God. The word that John uses for lawlessness is never used about a single transgression. So John is not saying that anyone who is a Christian, anyone who knows God, never sins. What are you saying, uh, uh, that the, way that this, the way that this word is used, in anywhere in the body of John's work or anywhere in the New Testament, it never talks about uh, just a single transgression, but the state of the internal motivation for those who are not of God. Those, as John calls, they are children of the devil, which we all were. That's what Paul says, we are dead in our transgressions. Uh, under the prince of, of this world, um, the internal state of motivation uh, is such that uh, for those who have fallen on Christ for the forgiveness of sins and who love Christ for it, we don't want to sin. doesn't mean we, and I, when I say we don't want to sin, I don't mean that we don't ever want to sin. and I don't mean that we aren't tempted uh, by uh, tempted to sin or that we don't give in to sin. But because we love Christ for what he has done, we don't want to dishonor the character of God that, uh, because we love him for his act of saving mercy. I can remember a conversation uh, with uh, a gentleman at my previous church who was sort of a fringe uh, member uh, of the church but uh, I remember he I mean he was into some just sort of wild living and, and sort of rebellion. And I he was a young, young man. And I talked to him. I said, Well, what is your belief in God? He says, God will forgive me. And I said, But I mean, what does that do for you? He said, It doesn't do anything for me. I just know that when I come, you know, that's, his job is to forgive. My job is, you know, I sort of fill the, fill the sin tank up. And then I come to him to, well, I mean, that's basically what I was saying. And I said, You don't understand grace, you don't understand forgiveness. And he thought, you know, God has a, has a job, and I've got a job. My job is to live for me, and his job is to forgive me. And, um, and, and I will say that there is a time, I mean, there is a sense in which all of us live like that. But we don't understand grace. We don't understand what has been accomplished on our behalf if we don't love God for what he has done for us. The one who does not trust Christ in whatever manifestation that that presents itself doesn't care about how their actions reflect the character of God. And so, those who love Christ for what He has done—I'm not saying that addicts can't love, love God. I mean, if you—and the reason I say that is if you think, well, what about someone who sins habitually or perpetually? And Jesus lifted the the standard of sin in the in the Sermon on the Mount to a height that we can't. Um, that we can't bear because we sin habitually and perpetually. And yet, for those whom the Lord has called to Himself, it does not mean we are without sin, but it does mean uh, that our desire is repentance. Now, the Greek where it says, to make a practice of, the Greek there is just the word to do. So literally, it says, "those who do sin." What the the structure, the reason it's translated like that, and it's translated various ways in various translations, to try to demonstrate in English what is given in the in the um, the way that the verb is structured. And so it's it's ongoing sin, and what he is specifically saying that this is the bent of one's heart, this is the inclination of one's heart, that it seems. And it seems to be in response uh, to the uh, sort of Gnostic, uh, gross uh, immorality rooted in the belief that matter and spirit uh, can't mix. That we don't care about how our life, reflect, if we're non-believers, or even if we say we are believers, if the fruit of our life is that we don't care about how our lives affect or reflect the character of God. Now, that's heavy and that is convicting. And yet, remember that it is, uh, John has begun with the gospel. That he has declared us who were not children of God to be children of God. And if your heart is broken because, we, there, oh my gosh, there is a, there is a um, standard here that I can't, that I can't uh, live up to. And your heart is drawn to repentance. Then that is evidence that you are a children of God, a child of God. Scholars have gone round and around saying, well John is there's a standard here for sinless perfection, which totally contradicts what he has just said in chapter two that if we say we have no sin then we are uh, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us and yet what he says here in chapter three is that we if anyone who um, has the spirit of God cannot sin." Oh. The bent of our heart. It's Isaiah six. The believer cares about the law. I mean, I, I, I've been told that if those who preach, sort of preach grace and uh, say, "Well, you just you know that God will forgive us no matter what." Say, "Well, if, you know, if I be- you, you you must not care about the law because if I if I believe what you believe, then I wouldn't have any uh, if I wouldn't have then I wouldn't have any um, motivation to live a holy life. My only response to that is that. Actually, we have much more concern for the law because we actually admit that we can't do it, and we have nowhere to turn but the mercy of Christ. To say that that, that we must live by the law, and just actually to say that you've taken away my fear of, of condemnation, and therefore I have no uh, the uh, I have no uh, desire to live uh, for God anymore, is to say that if then your only motivation was to, uh, for serving God. And to live a holy life was fear of punishment. And if that's the case, you're not serving God. You're serving yourself. You're trying to escape punishment. Uh, There's a great... uh, I I actually i just wrote about it in in the adventure uh, story that Tim Keller tells about the um, the farmer who grew this great... He's a peasant farmer. He grew this great, uh, huge carrot. And he takes it into the king and says, My king... As a token, this is the the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. And in my, uh, in my, um, as a token of my love and respect for you, I want to give you uh, this carrot. He turns to walk away, and the king says, "Hold on! You know, I, I, um, I I just uh, thank you so much. And and, you know, your little plot of land—I actually own—you know—a great, big plot of land next to it. I want to give that to you, and uh, you do what you do best: go and tend that. And oh my gosh, thank you so much, Your, Your Majesty." In the court, uh, this conversation is overheard uh, by a nobleman. And the nobleman says, man, you got that for a carrot. You know, so he shows up the next day and with this magnificent stallion. My lord and my king, uh, I breed horses for a living. And, and this is the greatest stallion that I've ever uh, bred or ever will breed. And I want to give it to you as a token of my love and respect. And the king says, thank you very much, and takes off. <laughs> and the nobleman is just kind of scratching his head. Says uh, the king. Says, All right, "Hold on, that farmer gave me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. You're giving yourself the horse. Uh, and that's and that's what uh, John. That's the distinction. Even though this section it, it doesn't demand perfection, but it still causes us to pause, to evaluate, and to repent. Uh, believers care about uh, the law." and care about and abhor their own sin. And those who are not true believers, even though they may confess to be, and I and I I only say this, not out of condemnation of anyone, but for myself, that it, it causes me to look at my life and, and drives me to the cross uh, if there is a nonchalance about the character of God. And John says that that is that is something a Christian cannot have. So, we're going to leave that out there, and I'll, um, you're welcome to email me later. First John 3.16-18 uh, um, through 18. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So John says, if you want to know what love is, uh, here it is: He laid down His life for us. Remember, John wrote this in his Gospel, uh, fifteen thirteen. Greater love, this is quoting Jesus. Greater love has no one than this: that He laid down His life for my for His friends. And you are My friends. So again, John returns to the gospel. The gospel flows out of the holiness of God. The holiness of the believer's lives flows out of the Gospel. Uh, God is the judge. He's the offended party. He emptied Himself. He laid down His life. He who created life and spoke life uh, into existence poured out His own life so that we might live. And The way that, that works itself out in our lives is by offering uh, that same dying to self uh, to others, and especially to fellow Christians. Receivers of grace, uh, may become, should become, ought to become are invited to become givers of grace. And you remember in the um, Ascension passage uh, before he ascends, Jesus says, "You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. and and most the way that's uh, generally interpreted is that, is that uh, locally, really really close and then sort of out and then sort of further out and then to the ends of the earth. Uh, Jerusalem, for this is, is your home. We need to be givers of grace in our home. Husbands and wives loving their spouse when they don't deserve it. And, you know, I, I say that, um, and that's something that, that I constantly am, am asking forgiveness for from, from both Amy and, and the Lord. Um, but asking forgiveness. Our kids see that, and they sort of swim in that environment of grace. And, um, and, and learn to do the same. And then it flows out to the world uh, around us. Um, you're, a, you're a single parent. Your kids are gone. I mean, whatever life stage you're in, givers of gra- uh, receivers of grace need to be givers of grace. It starts in the home. It, um, it, it flows out. It flows out. Uh, the love of God is the one thing that you get more of when you give it away. Um give away your money you get satisfaction <laughs> you don't get more money uh, but you give away the love of God you get uh, you get more of the love of God um, he says let us not love in word or talk but indeed in deed and truth again don't take this out of context don't say the only thing that matters is, is our is what we do because what we believe uh, the way we love others uh, is uh, is very valuable but to say that we uh, to say I love you but not to show you that I love you uh, is, is and talk is cheap. But if, I, but if I do love you and I show you that I love you, then to say I love you takes on great meaning. So don't take that completely out of context. Remember, John roots that uh, in the Gospel. Repentance comes first, first, then amendment of life. First John 4, 7-11 uh, uh, Beloved, let us want, love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Again, it's another call to love, and it's another return uh, to the gospel. Now, in this, we have one of the towering statements of the Bible. If, you, if the Bible is a is a fortress, a palace, and and you, know, you have John three sixteen, which may be the highest parapet and there's great towers, and you have uh, in Him there is in there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you see it, those things, it's a you have these towering statements. Not to say that there are portions of Scripture that are superior, but just some, some seminal statements. God is love. That is a towering uh, seminal statement of the Bible. And yet, is also a, a passage of the Bible, a verse of the Bible that is uh, one of the most widely misused and misrepresented passages of Scripture. How does this? So, let's, how, does, how does John get there? Well, verse 7. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. So, the call to love, to love one another, stems from two truths. Whoever loves, that is, whoever, uh, true love, godly love, um, has been born of God and knows God. So, there's regeneration. That is, uh, we've been born of God. We have, uh, remember John, um, he's talking to, uh, and Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, John chapter 3. Uh, you must be born again," uh, he says. Elsewhere, uh, we must come to, um, to the Father as a, as a child, enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, that is to come to God without status, to be born of the Spirit, not with a resume in our hands, to be born completely of Him, uh, regenerate and knows God. Remember to know God and in, in the biblical to, to to know in the biblical sense, uh, people you know that's a joke. We don't know Him in the biblical sense. People say that. Well, that's because there's intimacy involved. It is a euphemism for sex in places in Scripture. But that's because to know in, in this culture, in that context, is there's an intimacy involved in knowing. There's a participation. There's a sharing. There's even a mutual blessing. And so to know God, there's an intimacy. So anyone who loves like that, that is, how, what is love? Lay down your life. Anyone who loves like that, you can understand if anyone is loving uh, who is in such a way that they are laying down their life, they are regenerate and they know God. Now, interesting what he says. That anyone who does not love does not know God. But he doesn't say that they're not regenerate. And that's important. You might expect, he says, for anyone, whoever um, loves has been born of God and, who, and knows God. Anyone who does not love does, has not been born of God and does not know God. But he doesn't say that. He said anyone who does not love does not know God. And what he's talking about is that laying down your life, godly uh, love. Because you can look at your life and know that there at least there are times, if not seasons or forever, that you don't love like that. Think about how what you mean, or maybe at the very least, think about what you meant uh, before you got married, if you're if you're if you're a married person, and if you're not a married person, uh, then think about this. Uh, anyway, I'm going to get myself in trouble. But um, oh, I just I just love her so much. What do I mean by that? I mean I'm ready to lay down my life for her so much, or. I mean, I just really love what she does for me. Really, I mean the second one. I mean, when I say I love someone, I mean I love what they do for me, which is why we get so disappointed when someone doesn't love us like that and we no longer love what we do for that. But in another uh, cheesy 80s song this, uh, from the Christian one, DC Talk, Love is a Verb. To say I love her so much is to say I'm willing to lay down my life for her so much. That is a completely different thing. Uh, from what, um, uh, from what we normally mean, but John is saying, whoever lo- whoever does love with his life, giving, pouring out, dying to self, love has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love like that doesn't know God. Which doesn't necessarily mean that they uh, aren't regenerate, because you can look at your life and say and know that. But it does mean that perhaps you need to live into intimacy and participation, and um, sharing and blessing relationship with the Father more. Because real, godly, sacrificial love comes from intimate participation with the author of real, godly, and sacrificial love. Because God is love. And to interact with God is to interact with what true love is. Now, I can, uh, just in closing, I'm not going to get to um, the the last section. And that's okay. But I can remember a time where I said, uh, I'm really going to love... I was sort of frustrated with Amy... And um, about a few things. And I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really love her. And I'm going to show her grace. I'm going to really love her. Even when she doesn't deserve it. <laughs> and um, four months later, uh, man, I was so frustrated in my marriage. Because it was not creating, the, I wasn't getting the returns. That I expected by, by giving her grace, I, I thought that she was going to start doing the things, she was going to quit doing the things that were bothering me, and start doing the things that she wasn't doing that was bothering me. And 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 what I um so then I'm reading through Ephesians at, at some point, and Ephesians says there's a verse in there: He Himself is our peace. And what I realized is that I was not loving Amy; I was trying to manipulate her. That I was not just saying, well, I'm going to love her anyway. What I was doing, I was letting the burr in my saddle fester. And I was getting irritated and more irritated. And the harder I tried to be nice, the more she should have been acting the way I wanted her to act. But I wasn't loving her. Because, see, love is a facet of God's holiness. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. God does not love us with an expectation of what we can do for Him in return. God poured himself out for us. So, when I let him be my peace, instead of Amy and the things that she was doing, you know what? I was able to love Amy. And actually, she was able to recognize it finally and not see that I was manipulated. And our relationship is better than it's ever been. But it's because if she continues to do those things, I will love her because he is my peace. I don't pat myself on the back for that. Uh, It is born out of repentance. Because I see the chasm between myself and a holy God. Is the love that you are offering, the people that you love, is it love? Uh, Is it manipulation? doesn't mean you're not regenerate. But are we interacting with the author of godly, sacrificial love? New commandment in John uh, is not new. Love one another as I have loved you sounds just like Deuteronomy 6, love your neighbor as yourself. That is, is that new? No. But what, what is new about it is that we're passing on to others this life-giving love that we have received. That's what's new. We're, instead of proving ourselves as lovers, we are admitting that we cannot love. We are admitting our sinfulness, our inability to measure up, and we're receiving grace in humility. And then in that humility, because we are receivers of grace, we are offering grace and that. Uh, that's what's new. This is very challenging, very hard, uh, very wonderful uh, material. And um, I need about six more weeks. So, um, But man, that's enough. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank You for Your Word and thank You for Your love. Thank You that You are love. Thank You that if we want to know what love is, that we need to only look at You in its greatest manifestation, uh, the cross. We thank You, Lord, that we also have hope of the resurrection. We pray, God, uh, that we would be drawn to repentance and that we who are humble receivers of grace as, as miserable offenders will, by Your redemption and by Your majesty, be givers of grace. To the honor and glory of Your character and of Your name, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.